it's very probably not Friday where you are. It's always Friday here on the Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio. Hello, I am Carson Sestouli, Fangraphs contributor and host of this intrepid pod. And what you have before you is indeed the Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio. In this episode, we invite... Rotographs contributors Michael Exisa and Zach Sanders to the Shockingly Round Table to discuss what's what in the world of fantasy baseball today. Among other topics considered in what follows, Dan Heron are his results over the first three months of the season a result of bad luck or change in skill. Brad Lidge, is he half the man he used to be? Or maybe more? We look at some aging players in New York City. Finally, I force our guests to discuss the topic du jour, Manny Parra. Is he half the Manny I'd like him to be? More disgusting puns like these, and some white-hot analysis on this edition of Fangraphs Audio. Yes, uh, back and badder than ever, it is the uh, Fantasy Friday podcast here at Fangraphs Audio. Joining us are a couple of the gentlemen of Rotographs. Uh, First of all, joining us from uh, the Empire State and, uh, I don't know, the the Big Apple. It's uh, Mike Exisa, also of MLB Trade Rumors, River Ave Blues. How are you doing, Mike? I'm great. How are you guys doing? Good. Uh, we're doing well. Zach, uh, well, Zach Sanders is the other person to whom you're appealing. He joins us from the left coast. He's also a contributor to uh, uh, maybe uh, Baseball Daily Digest. Is that a fact, Zach Sanders? That is a fact. That is a fact. Good. Uh, it's good that I'm not starting off with the lies. We'll let them. Uh, we'll grow into them as we move along. Zach is also joining us. Uh, so listen, guys. I'm. Uh, I'm not ashamed to just get right into these particular conversations we've got going on this uh, Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio. Uh, you know, as uh, we've done in the more recent uh, iterations of this particular podcast. We'll uh, let you guys start off the particular conversations that you think are relevant. Zach Sanders, I'm going to appeal to you first uh, for no reason whatsoever. What is uh, something uh, in the fantasy landscape these days uh, of note to you? Well, this year was the first year that I've owned Dan Heron, and everyone I was always worried about the first and second half splits. But usually he performs very well in the first half, and so we see a lot of owners starting to worry about his 465 ERA right now. And I just tell him, let's not be too concerned. He's got a 346 XFIP. He's got a his home runs per nine is actually pretty elevated compared to his normal numbers, about half a home run more per nine innings he's giving up. But his home run to fly ball rate's about 14%, so it's a little bit high. It's not it's not awfully high though. He's not getting extremely unlucky. Uh, but he's got a 342 BABIP against, and that's what's really hurting him. He's got a career high in his K rate, and so the things that we know he does, the Ks, the walks, and the home runs, he's still doing very well, and I wouldn't worry about him going forward. The Diamondbacks may not be a great team, but he should still be an opportunity to win maybe 15, 16 games this year with a great K rate. Now listen, uh, um, you bring up Dan Heron there in his first and second half splits. What what has been his history? Just uh, I mean, refresh my memory, if if not for the listener. Well, the biggest thing has been, especially last year, he's always had a little bit better in the first half, and but last year he just exploded. I, I don't know, I don't want to state wrong numbers here, but I want to say ERA, maybe in the ones and the low twos during the first half last year's like I think some like thirteen straight like great starts, and he fell off in the second half, which is you know bound to happen. Guys aren't he's not that good. And but I think we always believe that they sh- this, the split should stabilize somewhat. They should never be that extreme. And so I think this is actually a good sign that maybe the splits are actually going to come back to earth. 
Right. Uh, Mike, I want to ask you, too, about about Dan Heron. Is that a guy that uh, recently you've tried to pursue in any of your leagues? Or um, do you see something else going on with Heron that maybe the advanced stats don't tell us? Well, the only thing that I – well, I actually watched him pitch last night, and he looks he looks fine. He looks like Dan Heron. The only thing I, that really kind of stood out to me is that he's not getting as many ground balls as you would think a guy that throws a split finger does. And he only had two all game. And that, you know, it's fly ball percentage is up 5% or so from the last few years, <clears throat> which, you know, I mean, he plays in a homer-friendly park, so that could contribute to, uh, to all these extra home runs he's given up. But the other thing I noticed just looking at his numbers, his left on base percentage is down compared to the last three or four years. The last few years he's been around 75 77%. This year it's 70 So that, you know, that's obviously going to boost his, uh, his ERA up. And also the bullpen is is horrible. I wish I would have looked it up beforehand, but I'm sure that there's a whole lot of, inst- of uh, runners who left for their relievers. The relievers came in, they let them all score, and that you know ruined his ERA. I I would have no problem pursuing him right now. I think this is a great time to actually buy low on him, just because his ERA is so high, and he's you know he had a couple a game gets a start or two ago where he got kind of rocked, he gave up like five home runs or something like that. So I would definitely I would go after him, and you know. I'm not too concerned that this is, uh, you know, the underlying everything you see with the numbers. They're all the performance basically on par with what he's done in the past. Yeah, Mike. How, how, to what degree? You mentioned the uh, the poor Arizona bullpen and, and their struggles have been uh, certainly well documented over the first half or so of the season now. Uh, to what degree do you let a, a starting pitcher's bullpen kind of, I guess, tweak your view of the, of that pitcher? Um, a little bit. I wouldn't go, I don't go too overboard with it. I think with Arizona though, it's, it's such an extreme problem. I mean, it's, I mean, this isn't just a bad bullpen. This is the worst bullpen we've seen in like a decade. It's horrible. So you can't count on him necessarily getting the wins you would think he would get. You know, he, he's pitching like he could get 15, 16, 17. You know, he might end up with 13 because they just blow so many leads. I think it's something to consider, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't go too nuts and have it, uh, you know, for, especially a guy like Dan Aaron who, even if he's not getting wins, you know he's going to give you pretty much every something, you know, every other stat category possible. So yeah, it's a little bit of a concern, but I'm not going to. It won't deter me from a guy like him. Right. Okay. Well, that's great. Uh, now, now, speaking of bullpens and question marks, uh, uh, one team uh, that's that's had one has had a big question mark in their bullpen has been the Philadelphia Phillies. For however good they are uh, throughout the rest of the roster, that bullpen, especially. Uh, you know, closer, and I say that in quotation marks. Brad Lidge, in uh, his contribution, has been has been a question mark. Uh, Sanders, you have some thoughts on Brad Lidge and and uh, that Philly bullpen, and how are you dealing with it? Well, first, I'd like to compliment you on that fantastic transition. That's what we call a pro professional segue <laughs> in the business. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's get. We'll stop praising Carson. <laughs> we don't need to inflate his ego more. No, it's giant but... right now. It's filling up the room. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, when we get to Brad Lidge, you know, small sample size alert. He's only pitched like 11 innings this year, but 13K per nine, career low based on ball rate. He's throwing his slider like he did in 2008, throwing it like 60% of the time, I think. I mean, it's early, but this could be huge for Philly, and this could be huge if you were one of the few people to take a risk on Lidge because after we did last year and his history of blowing games, it's not easy to go out there and take a risk on a guy like that, but it looks like he's going to lock down the ninth, and if he can keep it up, he's a great own. I don't think I'd try to trade for him, but if you can somehow still pick him up, go do it. 
Now, with Brad Lidge, uh, obviously, I think uh, well, I don't want to think necessarily that it's obvious, but uh, to a certain degree, I think people conceive of uh, Brad Lidge uh, before and after that uh, gigantic home run uh, Albert Pujols hit off him in the uh, NLCS. And I'm wondering to what degree do you think, Sanders, that sort of image of, of Albert Pujols hitting a ball to the moon off Brad Lidge sticks in people's minds when they think about him. Because looking at his stats across the board, he really has never been very bad. Uh, 2009, of course, he had a terrible ERA, but uh, his XFIP was only 476. And while that's poor, you know, he was still uh, posting a K rate uh, north of 9 per 9 innings. I'm wondering to what degree do, do you think we view Brad Lidge as kind of a, um, a head case because of that image that we all have in our head of him uh, giving up that man the shot. Yeah, there's very few players that we look at with that one image type thing. Bill Buckner, unfortunately, is one of them, guys like that. But I don't see Lidge like that. I don't really even remember that. I see the replays once in a while, and then it jogs my memory. But what I remember most is I don't – I think it was – 2007, if I remember right, when they just took him in and out of the closer's job over and over and over again. That just that just stuck in my mind. Just seeing a guy being taken in and out of the ninth inning, they don't know what to do with him. He had a lot of injury problems back off and on with his knees. I mean, that's more the image that's in my mind rather than the, the one moment with Albert Pujols. Right. Uh, Mike, I, what is it for you with Brad Lidge? I mean, it, um, you know, I've suggested that perhaps it's that one image of the, uh, you know, against uh, Albert Pujols. Sanders is suggesting maybe it's the way he's been jerked around, I think probably by both teams he's played for, Houston and, and Philadelphia. What is it that uh, sort of, what is the anxiety that surrounds Brad Lidge, and how does it affect, you know, the sort of uh, his fantasy value? Yeah, I definitely think that there's, that there, you know, that was such like a huge moment. It was such like a, you know, it was on a huge stage, and everybody, you know, you have a hard time forgetting that. And those things, whether people want to admit it or not, they do kind of factor into some decisions when you're you're going to draft a guy or claim him. You know, it's always in the back of your mind. The thing is, I remember in the playoffs, you know, he blew that game, but they won the next game. And I remember Brad Lidge, they were bringing him in in the seventh inning, and he was closing out games from the seventh inning on. He was that you know that one mistake, and otherwise he was just absurd. You know, the last few years he's been up and down. Houston jerked him around back and forth. Last year he was, I mean, he was terrible last year. There's really no way around it. I guess what I'm more concerned about is just his health, just because he's had knee trouble and he had some elbow trouble this year already. It's, you know, relievers are volatile enough as it is, and now that you're factoring injury, that concerns me a little bit more. And he's not young. I think he's 34 years old now, maybe 33. So, yeah, I'm more concerned about that than just having this one horrible moment half a decade ago kind of hanging over his head. Okay. And, uh, Zach, just to close off this uh, conversation with regard to Brad Lidge, is this a case where you're maybe looking at um, Jose Contreras or, uh, you know, another member of that Phil's bullpen? Uh, if you don't have Brad Lidge, are you sort of looking to get that and maybe store a guy on your bench, or are you thinking Lidge is, at least has the role locked down for right now? I think for now we see that Lidge has the role, but... We know the way that they've dealt with him in the past and with Madsen and Contreras and Romero and all those guys back there. It's hard not to get a stopgap guy, maybe just get a setup guy to get you K's on your bench. I mean, I have, I actually have had Madsen on the DL since he went on there. It's a 60 day DL thing. So I've 
held on to him for a while. Right. I thought he might come back and get the saves again, but if if Lidge is pitching like this, Madsen's going to be the setup man again, which is probably the best thing for the entire team. Contreras, I don't think, has a shot. He'll go back to middle relief, and that, I mean, the team will be better, but it's going to make things harder for fantasy. For fantasy, right. Okay. Uh, now, uh, a couple, uh, let's see, the injury concerns with Brad Lidge. Um, Exisa, you want to uh, maybe talk about, I don't know if it's necessarily injury concerns, but at least age-related concerns with a couple of guys uh, there in your uh, New York area, a couple hitters. Uh, you know, wherever you want to start, I think Jason Bay and A-Rod are the, the topics here. Wherever you want to start, uh, it's all up to you. Yeah, I guess both of them kind of lump them together because the thing with both of them is they're just not hitting home runs like we're used to seeing. For A-Rod, DH is a factor because he's 35 years old. He's having this hip problem now. You know, he had the surgery last year, and it's been bothering him the past two weeks or so, whatever it is. So whether or not that's affecting him is, I mean, that's something we can't answer, but it's an excuse. You know, we'll see, you know, his trouble attributed to that. And it's not like A-Rod is having an awful year. He's hitting just like an above-average third baseman instead of this otherworldly player. And he has nine home runs right now. Jason Bay, on the other hand, he's got four, and that is, I mean, after hitting 30-something last year, that's kind of, I mean, that's, you know, that's just massive drop-off. And, you know, people are going to say, well, it's City Fields. You know, he's having trouble hitting. He's got this huge park coming from Fenway. He's not in this little place anymore. Jason Bay has hit so much better at home. He's got a four, I think it's a 404 Woba at home, and it's like 313 on the road. So City Fields is not the problem. He's got three of his four home runs at home and one on the road. And, And Jason Bay, he's, He's not a, you know, it's not like he's in his mid-20s anymore. He's only 32. But there's, I mean, you look at the statistics, there's nothing really that stands out at you that jumps out as a cause. His fly, ball, his fly ball percentage is down a little bit, down like 3 or 4%. But still, his home run for fly ball is down like 15%. It's, it's a little crazy. And we're at the point now where this stuff stabilizes. You know, we're closing in on 300 plate appearances. We'll get, he'll hit that this weekend. So now is this, you know, going forward, is Jason Bay going to be a 10 or 15 home run hitter a year? I don't know. That's that's a, uh, you know, I don't think that's what a lot of people expect coming into the year. No, I, I mean, I think and the general analysis with regard to Bay uh, from the offseason was that uh, his bat wasn't the problem, right? It was um, it was the question exactly. about his glove. He, he's had some uh, up seasons, some down, well, Let's see, he's had some average seasons and then some down seasons as far as uh, his UZR numbers go. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder, do you know, Mike, do you think that these things get magnified because they're, uh, it might be actually hard for you to tell, uh, but because you're, because of the New York market? You know, or, I mean, is this a question of, um, of hysteria, or do you think that there's actually something sort of legitimately uh, uh, of, of note here and of some concern with Jason Bay? Oh, I think it's there's legitimate concern about it. You know, it's obviously being talked about a lot here. Not so much now because the Mets are winning a whole bunch of games, but I mean, it's a problem because they just signed this guy to this big four-year contract that has an easily option, uh, easily vesting option for a fifth year. So it is a concern. With you know, he's not hitting home runs and his RBI total is down. It's only 29 RBIs, which is you know, after last year, this is not what people expected when they were drafting Jason Bay in the you know, fourth, fifth, or whatever round. At least Alex Rodriguez, on the other hand, he's still piling up RBI totals, which has a lot to do with the team around him. He's going to finish with over 100 again. Bay, you can't really say that right now. I mean, he might not crack 80 or 90. 
Yeah, yeah, uh, Zach. You know, with regard to uh, to Jason Bay, we can get to a Rod in a second. Uh, with regard to Bay, you know, it is it is kind of rare uh, to see a player. Uh, well, I would say it's rare, except it happened to uh, Jason Bay's teammate David Wright last year. Uh, but typically, we don't see a guy's uh, home run uh, for fly ball kind of melt the way that uh, Jason Bay's had. He's got 16%. On his career, and it's uh, just a hair under five percent right now. Uh, you know, he's got more home runs in City Field than he does away, so we can't blame it on the home park. Even though I'm sure people uh, enjoy doing that. Uh, are you legitimately concerned about Jason Bay's uh, lack of power right now, or is this someone that you're hoping to maybe scoop up low? Because even if he doesn't have the power, you know, like David Wright, he has other things to offer. I am legitimately concerned, and I I didn't even touch him coming into the year. I wanted nothing to do with him. I maybe I just overplayed the city field effect in my mind, but he wasn't someone I wanted to draft. And I don't know. We we really can't say what's bothering him. I mean, today on the site, we're, you know, listening to this a couple of days ahead of time, but Pat Androyla had something up about Andreola, I guess how you pronounce it. Um, had something up about Bay looking at his batting stance. It slightly changed, and there's nothing we can really look at right now and say. This guy's not hitting well, except just that home run to fly ball percentage, and that is it's below five percent, which is something I expect to see from a slap hitting shortstop. I mean, not Jason Bay. Do you think this sort of set? I mean, uh, of course, I think uh, you know Andreola's. Um, you know, I, I, I think the way he handled it was was uh, pretty nice, actually. The way he looked at uh, base stance and you know offering up a. Um, you know, a possible uh, reason why he might have lost some power, especially to uh, to the opposite field. But with the situation with Jason Bay right now, is this is this the kind of thing that sends us almost on a, a sort of witch hunt for answers? Um, because it's hard to attribute it to anything even that advanced metrics can really pick up. Yeah, I get. I guess coming into the probably coming into the 1990s, we would have just said, "Oh, the guy's old." But coming into this era, it's like. Was he on something? That's the first thing that comes to everyone's mind is power drop equals steroids. And I don't think that's true here. I think that'd be jumping to huge conclusions that we don't need to go through. But you see big drops in power, and if we can't explain it, you have to you have to think of something and at least at least make an attempt to quantify what's going on. Right. Yeah, now the, the question of age is actually interesting. Before uh, we push reco- record here on the pod... Uh, Mike, you were bringing up A-Rod, and uh, you know, we were looking at his drop in power, and you said, uh, well, listen, he's 35. And that's funny because, uh, I, well, for two reasons. One, uh, I typically, I guess, I don't think of A-Rod as a guy in his mid-30s. Um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm 30 myself, and, uh, and uh, I think, you know, most of the sabermetrically oriented guys tend to be in their 20s, um, but still, you know, Old enough to have seen A. Rod as a you know maybe even as a rookie with the Mariners, and a, you know as sort of a <laughs> phenom. A. Rod is now in his mid 30s. The, the second point, which kind of uh, you know lends it lends itself to this, is uh, A. Rod you know mid 30s is getting up there. You know and uh, maybe where we saw some spikes uh, in power <laughs> from certain hitters, uh, you know even five ten years ago, maybe mid 30s because there's you know and it's possibly related to substance stuff. Mid-30s may not be, uh, you know, that may not be a place for guys to have sort of uh, second second peaks in their career. You know, in the case of Luis Gonzalez, first peaks. Uh, you know, 35-year-old uh, Alex Rodriguez, 
you know, do you think that age is a legitimate concern at this point? You know, he does have hip problems, and that's uh, that's maybe more uh, 85-year-old uh, condition. <laughs> but do you think age is a legitimate concern right now? Yeah, I think I don't think you could just ignore it, even though great players like Aaron and other great players we've seen throughout the years, they don't have a normal kind of career arc where they kind of top out and, you know, their late 20s, early 30s, and then really kind of pull off. These guys tend to stay productive into their mid-30s and beyond. And, you know, like we said, A-Rod, he's still productive. I mean, it's just that he's merely very good instead of, uh, you know, unfathomably good. Yeah, I do think it's also it's definitely a concern. And going forward, is he is this is this the new A-Rod, or is he going to kind of break out of it a little bit, hit his 30 home runs as usual? But, yeah, I definitely think it's something that we have to – Take, it, take into a consideration because this is, you know, just the era we came out of. We really didn't see guys, these great players like this, they really didn't age as, you know, they didn't fall off like this. They stayed productive when they were 38, 39, 40 years old. Erod's only 35, which is, it's not old, but in baseball years it kind of is. Right, yeah, and, and that's uh, sort of interesting to think of, as I noted. Uh, you know, there's a, uh, this is uh, shifting gears completely, no, no uh, professional grade segue here, uh, but th- there's a conversation I'd like to start briefly. Uh, today, Manny Parra will be starting for the Milwaukee Brewers. Manny Parra, before today, has made uh, three pretty excellent starts, He uh, and uh, he's, he's shown good stuff. I think he's got 23 strikeouts and 17 innings coming into today's start against the Twins. Um, he's spent m- most of the season in the bullpen, but before that, he's been uh, mostly a starter on his career, and sort of a frustrating case, because Para does the things that you want a pitcher to do. Um, he gets strikeouts and he gets ground balls. Uh, you know his ground ball rate on his career is uh, just a hair under uh, 49%, which is great, maybe about uh, six, uh, you know, f- uh, four, five, six percent above league average. And um, you know he strikes guys out he's, as a lefty, which is always Fun to watch, um, if if not uh, not just also effective. Uh, he does walk guys. He does always walk guys to the tune of about four four and a half per nine, which is a problem. But it, you know it's also probably because he has so much movement on his stuff. A couple things about Manny Parra. He's pitched well this season so far, um, both from the bullpen and out of it. But once again, uh, strangely so, he is uh, suffering from uh, ball and play average. Uh, Craziness, madness. He has, uh, he's right now, he has a, a betting average in ball and play against of 362. And through 380 career innings, his uh, betting average in ball and play against is 350. Um, I guess I would just, I want, uh, I'd like you guys to respond to some of that stuff specifically, especially the ball and play stuff. Maybe more generally, just how you feel about Manny Parra and, you know, whether he's a guy you would pick up in one of your leagues. Mike, let's start with you. Uh, Manny Parra, is he a, you know, riddle wrapped in a, mystery inside, whatever Winston Churchill said, uh, or is he just, I mean, is he the victim of bad luck, or is he uh, or is he um, somehow prone to this sort of thing? I think anytime you see a uh, batting average and balls in play up around 350, 360 for a pitcher, I think bad luck is definitely, it's definitely a factor here. I don't know too much about the Brewers' defense. I don't know if that's, if it's just ridiculously bad that they're not catching anything for anyone. I know 
Ryan Braun in left field's not very good. I know that much. And well, uh, if you've seen Corey Hart play right field too, uh, you know that's not there's no great shakes. <laughs> but but still, even though he stole almost 50 percent ground ball, so that shouldn't be much of a factor. And you know, 380 innings and parts of you know this, this goes across three seasons. This is uh, I don't know. I'm inclined to say this is more than just a fluke where he's had three straight years of bad luck. Maybe it's just the type of contact he's given up. Maybe when he does give up, you know, something beyond the ground ball or even ground balls, maybe he, he just has a tendency to get hit hard. Maybe his pitches are easy to square up or something. I don't know. It's very it's, it's fascinating. I'm glad you pointed this out to me before we came on because I would have never I would have never noticed it. But you know, three nine ERA, more than a strikeout per inning, even with the batting average on balls and play, I think that's. There's definitely fantasy value here. What's your sense of of uh, Paro's availability um, in terms of leagues? You know, I don't know how many leagues you necessarily play in, but how deep do you think a league would have to be to to be able to find, uh, or you know, how shallow I should say would a league have to be to find Paro on the waiver wire? Oh, that's, that's a good question. I have I'm in a, my main league is really really deep. It's 20 teams, and I can guarantee you he's on. But just looking at Yahoo, he's owned in. It says he's owned in one percent of leagues, so that makes me think. <laughs> that makes me think that he, <laughs> chances are, he's out there for you. Yeah, uh, well, that's a great deal of availability. Um, Sanders, uh, just as uh, and our listeners might have heard, uh, just as uh, Mike was quoting that, you also uh, uh, sent a message here: owned in one percent of Yahoo leagues. That's not a lot. Zach, uh, you know, is that someone that uh, maybe you're considering uh, picking up, or are you just? You know, do you see that those weird uh, ball and play numbers, and you're just kind of uh, turned off by him? Parr is a guy I've always liked. He's got good fastball, good curveball, and he gets ground balls. I mean, he's the great pitcher you want to have on your staff in real life, I think. But you have to be concerned about, well, if he's going to go out there, there's a better chance that he might get rocked because he can start walking guys and then start giving up lots of hits, and you might have problems. One thing while you and Mike were talking, I looked up his pitch effects data, and what I'm seeing is really it's weird it's a big release point graph it's it looks like he might not have a standard release point that could be a problem i'm not sure i'm not the expert about to talk to you know to talk to dave allen about that but he's doing something and we don't know what it is i mean i own him in the beyond the box score war league i'm hoping that i like that he's a starter we can get some and get some more value out of him but he's never had that cemented spot in the rotation they've always been moving him back and forth they don't know what to do with him but I think if you want to take a risk, he's obviously out there, 99% of leagues. So you give him a shot. He'll get you a case at the very least, and hopefully he'll keep the RA low, round four, 4.25. Okay, uh, yes, and, and I will, uh, if I may editorialize momentarily, I will heavily endorse picking up Manny Parra. Um, the ball and play numbers are crazy, I agree. Um but I don't think that I, I think that he's kind of a fun gamble because I think that maybe you know more than a lot of other uh, more than a lot of players he maybe represents that um, that divide you sometimes see between uh, nerds uh, like us and uh, you know maybe I don't I wouldn't even say a scouty type thing because obviously a, a lefty with a 93 94 mile per hour fastball uh, will probably appeal to scouts too but I would say that he appeals to the nerd because. He's doing things that ought to, mit, that ought to net him uh, better numbers than he's getting. And I think that when you can exploit that inefficiency, uh, that makes one feel like a complete 
uh, nerd in the best in the best sense of the word. One <laughs> um, what other issue I want to tackle before we say goodbye is the um, Washington Nationals right field situation and exactly you know what's going on there and if there's any sort of value uh, when Elijah Dukes was kind of actually mysteriously um, cut from the team. The team, uh, the Nationals, were sort of left with this vacancy that was going to be filled uh, maybe by Justin Maxwell, who's a player who uh, has excellent tools and is, but has been a little bit frustrating and is now 27, you know, meaning he's not really, uh, you, you know, he's sort of in a stage now where you think maybe he's not learning a ton and he, he's closer to what he is. Uh, Roger Bernadina, who's a player, quite frankly, that I did not know a lot about uh before his most recent call-up and uh, his run of play. And then uh, more so in recent days, uh, we've seen Mike Morris, who I remember playing shortstop occasionally for the Seattle Mariners, uh, you know, five, six years ago. I think he was like a 6'6 shortstop, which is not something you see every day. A weird situation. Zach Sanders, let's start with you, and maybe you could even comment especially on Mike Morris. Is it a straight platoon that they have going there in the uh, in in Washington, or are they doing something else? And is Mike Morse worth a damn? Well, yeah, like you said, he's a he's a big dude. He's like six five, two thirty, and they had him playing everywhere in Seattle. I mean, look you look at his fielding data, you can see he's played twenty four games at first, nine at third, fifty seven at short, and a bunch more in the outfield. He just he plays everywhere. He's a, he's the essentially the quintessential utility man, but. Him and Bernardino are both, they're both older. They're both 27, 28, and so they're not great, they're not gonna be improving anytime soon. So what we're seeing is, I think they are platooning. I, I believe that Morse is batting against the left-handed pitchers and Bernardino is getting the bats for his right-handed pitchers. And so that makes, you know, the, there's left, there's less left-handed pitchers. We all know this. And so Morse is a little bit harder to grasp because he's not getting enough at bats. But Bernardino, he's got some speed. In 2008, between AAA and AA, he stole 41 bases. He's got a little bit of power, uh, decent batting average. So maybe if you're in an NL league or a deep mix league, you might take a chance on him. Yeah, I guess it would uh, depend on the size of the league there. Uh, you know, just looking at his stats for this year thus far, uh, 285 batting average, 346 OBP, 438 slugging. And um, if I am correct, the, uh, the the batting average in ball and play isn't crazy, especially considering that he ha- that he does have some speed. Um, Mike, how is what's your read of Ronard, uh, sorry, R- Roger Bernadina, and uh, in his grasp in the right field? How deep would a league have to be to to sort of put up with a guy with platoon split issues or not issues, but the fact that he doesn't even face any left-handers? Yeah, like you, I really didn't know too much about. Bernardino coming into the podcast and kind of happy because I really didn't know what was going on with Washington's right field situation because you remember at the start of the year it was the platoon of Willie Tavares and Willie Harris and then when that didn't work out they tried Justin Maxwell and when that didn't work out they moved on to this Mike Morrison Bernardino platoon and yeah I think if he's going to steal bases like Zach said which he's done in the minors if he's going to steal bases there'll always be value for him especially if he's going to get the majority of playing time and if he's going to hit 285 like he is right now with, without a ridiculous batting average on balls and play, yeah, there's value here. I don't think it's a normal 12-team mixed league. I think maybe in an NL-only league or a really deep mixed league, I think you have a chance to kind of steal some uh, steal some steals. You know, sounds weird, but 
Grayson's field with, you know, a player who's, I'm, without looking it up, I'm sure he's not old very much. And, you know, there's value here as long as he steals bases and he's keeps getting playing time. All right. All right. Well, uh, that settles it then. Uh, if you're in a, a NL-only league, maybe you're a deeper mixed league, then go for it. Uh, which reminds me, I should probably go pick him up right now in a deep um, mixed league. Uh, hey, well, thanks a lot, guys. This has been really great. Uh, thank you for learning me re- uh, real good. Um, so we'll say goodbye to you now, though, uh, lest we uh, carry on too long. Uh, so, Mike Exisa, I think you have uh, places to be. Thank you very much for joining us on the pod. Thank you, guys. Okay, thank you. And, uh, Mr. Sanders, uh, you really uh, you are the, uh, the workhorse of the uh, Fantasy Friday pod. Thank you very much. Anytime, Carson. Okay, good. And, uh, yes, my name is Carson Stooley, and I will continue to be that same person. And this has been the Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs. Thank you.